Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hi, listeners. Brad Kearns with another keto-dedicated show, and we're having so much fun on the Facebook group building and building the membership up to over 30,000 members, very lively, very engaged. Even Facebook says so with our little statistical analysis of the give and take and the interactions with the postings. So thank you so much for contributing. Thanks to our wonderful moderators. Let's keep the dream going. Let's keep drilling down and getting this stuff right. And on that note, this show is dedicated to the Q&A submitted by readers on Facebook. You can also email us info at ketoreset.com, and we'll compile the questions, uh, try to keep them brief, but also uh, the details are important, so not too brief, uh, but you know, under a thousand words would be great. Not kidding, because the endurance athletes love to uh, get up and over that number when they're writing in questions and it's difficult to process through all those. But these are some really sharp ones here, and I think will resonate with a lot of people as we're trying to sort out um, all the different aspects of the ketogenic diet, especially as it relates to uh, your athletic and performance goals. So um, here's one from Alex. It's the second time I'm trying to do uh, low-carb, high-fat in the last five years, and just like the first time, I'm experiencing huge spikes in anxiety levels. Oye, muy mal noticias, no bueno. Huge spikes in the last 10 days, which were not there on a higher carb diet. He's been going for about six weeks low carb, going 20 to 80 grams a day. The first few weeks I felt great. Now I have periods where I feel weak and super anxious. I noticed similar symptoms, less pronounced when hypoglycemic on a high carb diet. So when his carbs got low, blood sugar got low, the same thing kicked in, not as bad. So it looks like he's in a prolonged... Uh, state of hypoglycemia, something's not kicking into gear uh, in terms of his fat burning and getting that steady and comfortable and stable supply of energy. Back to Alex's question. All this leaves me wondering what the damn problem is. I don't want to give up on this healthy way of living. I run at MAF heart rate three to four times a week for 45 minutes. I do some light strength training two to three times a week. you have any ideas of what could be at play here? low electrolytes or blood sugar during adaptation to the high-fat diet. Well, one good thing about Alex is he doesn't have that very common component of people throwing too much stress at the equation here, at the picture. So a lot of times you dig deep into these people complaining about their transition to keto and they're immersed in a chronic exercise pattern, which is bad enough on a high-carb diet, but when you stay chronic with your exercise patterns and then cut carbs, you're asking for a world of trouble and a world of hurt. Um, So I wrote him back because I was so alarmed at his uh, condition, and I'll read from that a little bit and carry on. Hey man, that's disturbing report, especially if it's related to diet as you guess. Um, I'm not going to comment uh, on something that could be interpreted as a medical concern, of course not, and he's getting onto that borderline, right, listeners? I mean, complaining of uh, anxiety and uh, weakness uh, relating to his diet, we're going to have to stay with the big picture here, but as I said before, there's probably a pattern with his fat adaptation, and one thing that comes to mind that might be really interesting 
as detailed by Luis Villasenor in the book, The Keto Reset Diet, as well as on ketogains.com, Luis's wonderful website, is we might have an electrolyte mineral imbalance deficiency going on here in that transition over to low carb. So when you are cutting carbs, especially ambitiously and quickly in your diet, you are going to experience a reduction in inflammation and water retention in cells throughout your body because you're eliminating those offensive agents such as the glutens that cause the inflammatory response throughout the body, the autoimmune response, and you are generally going to be uh, not fully stocked with glycogen all the time, so you're going to experience a reduction in water retention. That's why people report that they lost 10 pounds in a single week, and they actually did. Most of that is uh, the water and the inflammation weight that happens right away when you cut carbs. Now, in the process of cutting carbs, you are also retaining less fluid in the cells, and that means less sodium, magnesium, potassium, and critical agents that affect things like energy level, anxiety, uh, central nervous system function, uh, and things of that nature. I can also point myself to probably bombing out on my first attempt at keto. I pretty much think it was related to uh, not getting my sodium right. And so experiencing that reduction in sodium and the fatigue and the malaise that uh, goes along with uh, electrolyte imbalance. So that would be a decent guess. And this is not outside the medical boundaries to say, hey, look, you know, on Dom D'Agostino's interview on his podcast, um, he suggests adding five grams of sodium to the diet when you are transitioning over to keto. Five grams is a teaspoon, not a big deal. Don't think it'll kill you if you're uh, going to take an extra teaspoon over the course of the day. What I like to do to make sure that I hydrate uh, optimally is sprinkle every single time I drink a beverage, sprinkle a little bit of high quality sodium product on there. L. Russ got me turned on to a product called Real Salt. And of course, you can get the Himalayan pink salt or the sea salt or the kosher salt that has an abundance of other vitamins and minerals as opposed to the iodized table salt that we're used to consuming, which is kind of a nutrient devoid version of uh, getting sodium in your diet. So sprinkle that stuff on your food, sprinkle it into your fluid, especially good to sprinkle into your hydration efforts because as Dr. Kelly Starrett details on his videos in the Keto Reset Diet digital course as well as the Primal Endurance course, um, when we're trying to hydrate and hydrate our tissues throughout the body, we have to do it in a strategic manner uh, that goes beyond just the old time quip of honoring your thirst. Uh, if you just slam a gallon of water after your workout in the name of hydration, but you don't balance it with the proper amount of sodium, it's not going to be absorbed into the tissues. You're probably just going to pee a lot of it out, especially if you do these big slams, these big chugs at one time. So better yet, especially for an athlete that's in that risk category of getting dehydrated or especially getting chronically a little bit dehydrated over time, which uh, as seasoned listeners know, I report on my Primal Endurance podcast how uh, I had a pattern of months and months of uh, overtraining chronic exercise leading to severe dehydration and an emergency appendectomy that I attribute to uh, adverse training practices as well as just going by my thirst instead of a strategic approach to hydration, including the extra sodium. So when you consume 
Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, scientific here, but if you have a pinch of salt for every glass of water that you drink, it's going to be more likely and more easily assimilated into your tissues because it's at that optimal sodium to water balance rather than just slamming a bunch of extra water. Because remember, your kidneys do a wonderful, fantastic job of maintaining optimal sodium balance at all times. So when you have that pinch of salt with your water, then it's going to be absorbed into the tissues rather than rejected or washed out, which the kidneys know how to do if you try to overhydrate. Okay, that was a nice little um, aside into some hydration comments. Uh, Google Dr. Stacy Sims at Stanford. She's done some great work and got into tremendous detail uh, of a special interest to athletes uh, striving for hydration and us working beyond uh, the more simplified message that was uh, dispensed uh, a while back where just honoring your thirst. Your thirst mechanism is extremely uh, finely tuned and will do a wonderful job keeping you optimally hydrated. But there are times and occasions where you have to kind of extend beyond that into kind of a strategic approach. And one of those is when you're pushing yourself, exercising in hot weather, um, where your thirst mechanism might become muted due to the fatigue of the difficult workout in hot weather. You get what I'm saying? So when you're out there on a bike ride and you've set your goal to finish a 60-mile course and it's hot and humid on a summer morning in Memphis, Tennessee, or wherever you might be, um, what's going to happen is you're pushing yourself, you're challenging yourself, your mind is strong, you have that great resolve to get to the finish line, and you might not notice that you're digging yourself a tiny hole of dehydration that's going to be not affecting your ability to finish the workout or the race. Maybe you'll feel okay when you finish because you stopped exercising. You'll drink a little bit but not fully rehydrate just because you're fatigued or whatever. You take a nap instead of rehydrate. I know that's happened to me where I woke up from a nap burning up where at the time of the nap after the workout, um, I felt okay, uh, but it would have been a better idea to rehydrate with a quart or two of water and then take a nap. Uh, So then what we're talking about is waking up the next day. Maybe you feel fine at rest, but when you go out and perform another challenging workout, or maybe it's two days later, what have you, I think you get the point here that you can get into this chronic pattern of dehydration where you're just barely hanging on, not quite caught up, and eventually it will uh, significantly or extremely compromise your performance and even lead to health problem. Uh, when I was admitted to the hospital with for my appendectomy, I was given like uh, seven straight IV bags over a period of hours. That's how dehydrated I was. And it came on the heels of a very hot week, uh, temperatures over 100 degrees in the Sacramento area. And I look back into my training uh, journal, and in fact, I had done a really ambitious uh, high jump and sprint workout one day, And then two days later, was in a really hot basketball gym uh, doing some crazy uh, basketball drills and jumping up and touching the rim and feeling great and feeling explosive and everything was fine. And then later that night is when um, uh, everything turned for me and I presented into the hospital eventually with a burned out organ and a dehydrated body. Um, So it took a week of, uh, you know, throwing in some challenging workouts uh, existing in 100 degree heat thinking that I was feeling fine and rehydrating, but I was in fact digging myself a serious hole. Okay, so I think you get that important message on hydration. And uh, we got off on this sort of an aside from the start of Alex's original question, uh, talking about why he feels lousy switching over to keto. 
and the importance of uh, the electrolyte balance and rebalancing or making that effort to uh, replenish your uh, electrolytes uh, more aggressively when you're in keto due to the uh, reduction in inflammation and water retention. So add some sodium to your diet. Dr. D says five grams. I'm going to be okay repeating that. Um, some of the other stats we put in the book, I believe it's a um, uh, thousand milligrams of potassium. Uh, good sources of that are things like avocados um, and all the other leafy greens. Uh, and then magnesium, the quote is uh, 400 milligrams, which is the common uh, uh, amount in a capsule uh, of a supplement. So something to look into and re- really seriously consider. I don't think it can hurt too badly to take um, some routine supplements like a magnesium complex. That's one that's commonly uh, referred to as uh, routinely deficient in the population. We're routinely deficient on magnesium um, because we're not getting enough in the diet. It's easily depleted, especially on keto. So if you go for those uh, lowest hanging fruit of upping your sodium, good quality salt, getting some magnesium, getting some potassium, making sure you emphasize vegetables and that plant-based diet is okay to exist in a heaping servings of vegetables while you're uh, trying for keto, uh, you'll uh, do really well. Look at ketogains.com because there's some good commentary that gets into detail and also in the appendix section of the Keto Reset Diet, uh, the Advanced Strategies chapter, as well as the appendix about troubleshooting, where we put in some more commentary, but most of it I just said. So thanks for listening to the Keto Podcast, huh? Okay, uh, next question. Is the keto diet safe for those with thyroid disease? Sure it is. Next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, you know, you're asking a medical question there, so we try to be careful on the show and uh, stick to our uh, corners here with giving nutritional peak performance advice. Um, So, you know, can't comment on the thyroid issue uh, directly, Uh, but L. Russ, as she does on many shows on the Primal Blueprint channel, talks all about thyroid health, thyroid function, has the doctors on there to ask specific medical questions, but uh, with her book, The Paleothyroid Solution, the essential lesson there is that you can heal your thyroid uh, with a whole... A strategy of holistic practices, including uh, taking a, a different look than the traditional medical approach to blood testing and uh, prescription medication for thyroid trouble. So looking deeper into this issue, anyone with thyroid condition would be well served to listen to some of those shows. Look on Primal Blueprint Podcasts for L. Russ with Dr. Gary Forsman. He's been on several times. And get her book, Paleothyroid Solution, where I believe she addresses directly, maybe in the show, uh, I think in the book too, that this low-carb diet, which is often dismissed out of hand for thyroid sufferers, can, in uh, another idea, be the path to healing and recovery. So we have to be very careful uh, just listening to uh, mainstream blather and out-of-hand comments, blanket statements like that. And same with on the other side. That's why I made a joke at the start of the question, um, you know, is the keto diet safe for those with thyroid disease? Could be very safe, very helpful in your path to healing. And it could be a bad idea if you approach it in an ill-advised manner, if you mess up your minerals and electrolytes, and it could plunge you into uh, worse health difficulties, uh, especially if you have thyroid dysfunction or adrenal dysfunction. So do it right, educate yourself, and then, of course, try things out and track uh, track your thyroid levels if you have a good uh, health practitioner along with you, making sure that you're responding well to any diet. Uh, same with, uh, to answer the question in general, 
Well, it depends. And there's a certain percentage of the population that has a difficult time uh, digesting and assimilating dietary fats, even healthy ones, monounsaturated, uh, the saturated fats. Some people have a difficult time uh, due to their genetics uh, processing saturated fat, bacon, butter, things like that that are highly touted as part of the keto diet and have the detractors uh, pinning those as the centerpiece of the keto diet, which of course uh, listeners to this uh, informative show know otherwise. Uh, but some people have to steer more toward certain fats and away from other fats. And one way to uh, determine how well you respond to the keto diet, besides feeling great and dropping some sizes on your uh, on your on your waist, uh, is to track those blood levels of those important uh, heart disease risk factors, such as your triglycerides. Um, and your small dense LDL. So a certain small percentage of the population might experience an increase in inflammatory markers and triglycerides from going on this extreme low-carb, uh, high-fat diet and then have to adjust accordingly. Um, but there's something in it for everyone, and I'm comfortable making a blanket statement. Anyone can challenge me, including a medical expert if they want, but uh, the health benefits of dumping refined carbohydrates are there to be had for all modern humans and absolutely essential for healthy living. They simply don't agree with um, the human body and human genetics to be dumping a uh, boatload of uh, processed refined carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates down your throat day in and day out, which is essentially what we've been doing uh, in the Western world for really for thousands of years. Whew. How about David writing in because he's confused? I see lots of references in the group about eating at a caloric deficit for weight loss, but Dr. Jason Fong in the Obesity Code says that caloric restriction doesn't work. He says it only leads to a slower metabolism, and any weight loss will only be temporary as the body enacts compensatory mechanisms to regain the weight. Why is caloric restriction being recommended here? And by here, I think he might mean um, the keto reset diet. So uh, Jason Fung, I've seen his stuff. He seems like a sharp guy. Um, so one thing I want to say at the outset is beware of uh, questioners taking information out of context or presenting it in a possibly potentially confusing manner. Um, and I'm guessing that's what's going down here because caloric restriction is literally the only way to reduce excess body fat, which is a big objective for many people and an essential health uh, practice to get rid of that excess body fat and stop those disease patterns in their tracks. Uh, keto is very, very effective for doing that because it attacks the source, which is your appetite and your hormonal optimization. You're always going to uh, lose out whatever dietary strategy, weight loss strategy you enact is going to lose out to your appetite if your appetite uh, is in conflict with these goals. So if you go on an extreme calorie restriction diet, like the Biggest Loser contest where they're, what are they eating, 1,200 calories a day and then hiking for six hours and doing crazy stuff, what's going to happen at some future date after the cameras turn off and after they collect their first prize check is the appetite is going to recalibrate and try to recover from that extremely stressful, depleting episode of however many weeks of high-stress exercise and insufficient calories. So our body's really, really good at replenishing from uh, depletion and really good at optimizing, for example, our protein intake. As Dr. Chris Kresser uh, mentions, that we have a really good internal uh, appetite and 
food craving mechanisms to optimize our protein intake. So if you try a low-protein diet or by mistake going keto, don't get enough protein, you don't get up to that estimated 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass per day, you are going to start feeling really crappy. You're going to get emaciated to the point where you can tell that your clothes are falling off your body or you look terrible and someone's going to say something and it's not going to be fun and you're going to have strong cravings for high protein foods. That's just how the body works and our genetics work. It's a wonderful mechanism to keep us alive, healthy, and thriving. So yes, indeed, calorie restriction is not going to work if you are struggling to adhere to some low-calorie diet uh, over and above your appetite. Your appetite's going to recalibrate you. It's going to push you to break through these arbitrary barriers that you're putting up. Um, and to address the comment that uh, calorie restriction leads to a slower metabolism is uh, something that uh, our take on it, that as described in the Keto Reset Diet and in the videos, is that when you try to uh, drop excess body fat and you're not fully fat and keto adapted, what's going to happen is uh, temporarily you're going to trigger the uh, chronic overstimulation of the fight-or-flight response to convert lean muscle mass into glucose via gluconeogenesis to supply your body with the glucose it needs, your brain especially, with the glucose it needs to function. So in a non-fat-adapted dieter, what's going to happen is you're going to be in this fight-or-flight mode. You're going to feel fine, perhaps, because maybe you've cleaned out some of the junk foods out of your diet in the name of dieting, in the name of weight loss, and you're going to make just the amount of sugar you need. Remember that our body optimizes blood sugar, the liver especially, uh, very carefully, exquisitely around the clock to the tune of around 5 grams of total amount of glucose throughout our bloodstream of, uh, what is it, seven or eight liters throughout the body. It's an amazing mechanism where a tiny, tiny range of glucose is optimal and our body does a great job dumping whatever glucose is necessary at that time into the bloodstream to function. But if we're not good at making ketones and burning fat, then we're going to have a heightened demand for glucose and we're going to go into that fight or flight mode to get our energy needs met. Again, fight or flight response, meaning that this starvation, this reduction of calories is perceived as a life or death event by the body. And so we easily kick into the glucose manufacturing uh, state. And I think you can all relate to this if you've had a period of time in your life of personal crisis, whether it was uh, up 48 hours straight at the hospital uh, uh, looking after a loved one or having a six-week period of time where uh, your company was getting ready for the IPO or you were studying for the bar exam and you were just running on fumes. Maybe you weren't even hungry that much because you were so jittery and nervous and distracted. Uh, but what was happening during that time is the fight-or-flight response was going into overdrive and making that sugar for you around the clock so you could function and not pass out under that stress. So that's not the way we want to diet. The way we want to diet is to uh, get into that fat-adapted state, that metabolic flexibility where you can burn a variety of fuels. You're able to skip meals effortlessly, uh, efficiently, wait until noon for your first meal and not be worried about it, not be uh, obsessing about food or feeling uh, draggy or uh, cranky or any of those sensations that you're just really good at tapping into stored body fat, making the ketones you need to fuel brain function in the absence of dietary calories, dietary carbohydrates. 
And then what you can uh, strategize from that point is a sensible reduction in total daily caloric intake to the extent that you're going to quickly drop uh, however many pounds of excess body fat you desire over whatever period of time is appropriate. So as detailed in the book, and this is important stuff, so uh, listen or, or take notes if you want, but the true path to weight loss is first to become fat adapted, or as Dr. Tommy Wood reminds us on his show that was on this channel, um, first you become metabolically healthy. Okay, so we don't talk about calorie restriction or even extreme carbohydrate restriction transitioning over to keto until you got uh, dealing with your uh, uh, gut overgrowth, inflammation, uh, things of that nature that are affecting your metabolism. So we want you to get rid of the junk foods. That's why the 21-day metabolism reset is that first step is clean up your diet. Don't worry about a calorie uh, deficit. Don't even worry about a, a severe carb restriction. Eat all the sweet potatoes you need to uh, satisfy appetite and function well. And then when you're metabolically healthy, then you can proceed on this wonderful journey toward uh, maximum fat and keto adaptation. And so when you become fat and keto adapted, uh, you've dropped the carbohydrates sufficiently so that you're uh, turbocharging fat burning then you can contemplate a strategic calorie uh, deficit each day. So let's say if you take uh, a goal in a month of losing um, uh, three pounds, that would be uh, quickly, that's 10,500 calories, right? 3,500 calories per pound. So if you create a deficit of, let's say, 350 calories per day, which is you know minimal, it's barely noticeable, it's um, certainly something that's uh, well within reach of anyone, uh, that's going to, over a month's time, result in three-pound reduction in excess body fat. And boy, oh boy, when we talk about uh, actual fat loss, it has a profound impact on your appearance and the sensation of really feeling good and transforming your body. And so we need to talk responsibly about the numbers here because we're so accustomed to hearing someone say, yeah, I lost 10 pounds for the wedding or for the cruise. And that's generally the uh, fluctuation and in inflammation and water retention from uh, a, a crazy crash diet. It's not uh, authentic weight loss that comes off your body and the places, uh, your trouble areas or whatever you want to call them. So when we're talking about dropping excess body fat, uh, that's when, if you do that three three pounds at a time, and we're talking three months later, the end of summer or the start of summer, if you want to go for the bikini season, oh my goodness, 10 pounds reduction in excess body fat, you're going to take pictures and they're not going to recognize you because it's going to change uh, your facial structure and all that good stuff that uh, we all dream about in Western society, huh? Okay, so what are we going to do? How are we going to do it is we're going to uh, limit our carbohydrate intake in the ketogenic uh, strategy to 50 grams a day when you're going for uh, traditional nutritional ketosis, 50 grams a day or below. Uh, that's for an active exerciser. If you're not active, you should be. <laughs> and uh, if you're not active, you're going to be looking for around 20 grams a day. So the activity is essential to developing healthy fat metabolism and also giving you a little more leeway to consume uh, healthy amounts of, for example, uh, above-ground vegetables, leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables that are so essential for gut health, for nutritional health, and probably uh, the best way to do keto is to get that 50 grams of nutritious uh, carbohydrates in your diet rather than be, uh, you know, 
more strictly restricted to under 20 where you're now you're starting to count Brussels sprouts just because you refuse to walk around the block every day. We don't want to advocate for that at all. So this is a, uh, a activity baseline of general everyday movement, uh, responsible exercise. We talk about this in detail in the book that you don't want to over-exercise during your ketogenic efforts, nor during your weight loss efforts, because chronic exercise stimulates appetite, because the body is really good at recovering from depletion, calorie restriction, or overly stressful periods of life or exercise. Um, As Mark Sisson likes to say to live audiences, um, you tend to overeat when you're immersed in chronic exercise because your brain is saying, I better stuff my face in case this fool tries to do that again tomorrow, meaning the workout, the crazy workout. Okay, so we're going to limit those carbs as we're familiar with. We're going to target protein. So we have a carb limit. We have a protein target, which equates to 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass per day on average. Carb intake, a little more strict day after day after day. If you're going for nutritional ketosis, we know that an orange juice and a couple bites of oatmeal will spit you out of ketosis for up to several days if you're not fat adapted uh, and you can recover a shorter time, like overnight, if you're a real rock star already. But we don't want to uh, engage in those carb binges during our keto efforts. So we want to hit those carbs, target them at 50 or below every day. Protein, different story. So your body does well to uh, get everything optimized and cellular repair and the building blocks happening when you average a healthy protein intake, let's say over a week or a month. So if you're averaging 0.7 over a longer term view, you're going to be just fine. And that quickly, a quick example, since for some reason I land in a really simple, quick example. Um, We're talking about lean body mass, so we we subtract your body fat from your total weight. So if I weigh uh, 165 pounds and I'm 10% body fat and I subtract, I'm going to have around 150 pounds of lean mass. And then if I go 0.7 on that, it's going to be right around 100 grams of protein on average per day is my target. That's 100 grams protein, 400 calories. That's not a ton. There's no need to go uh, strongly in excess of that because we talk about the dangers and the concerns about chronically excessive protein intake, overstimulating those growth factors, accelerating cell division, accelerating the aging process, literally. So we want to target protein intake around 0.7. You can do your own calculation. Obviously, mine was a rough calculation, but if I get somewhere around 100 grams, I'm doing well. So I have 50 grams of carbs, I have 100 grams of protein, and then fat, as Luis Villasenor says, is your lever. So we have a carb target, a protein limit, uh, sorry, carb limit, a protein target, and then fat is the lever giving you total dietary satisfaction at all times. So your appetite is going to tell you how much fat you need to get through the day. And if you've done the work right and you've built that metabolic flexibility, you're not going to be needing to stuff your face all the time to feel good and function because you have easy access to your own stored body fat because you're limiting carbs, you're managing insulin, you're keeping insulin optimally low, and whether you eat a meal or whether you just skip a meal and burn the fat off your body, you're going along just fine for the month. And boy, oh boy, if you are only shooting for a deficit of 350 calories per day, you can have some delicious, nutritious, high-fat, totally satisfying meals, 
some snacks and treats here as you find in our cookbooks. You can really indulge yourself. Uh, I just made a wonderful uh, cheesecake recipe for the Instant Pot uh, on behalf of the new uh, Keto Reset Diet Instant Pot cookbook coming out in uh, middle of 2018. A rush job because Instapot's so popular and we were all over this thing. Uh, Dr. Lindsay Taylor and her sidekick, uh, Layla Shade, they did a great job uh, preparing these amazing recipes with Mark and you're going to love this book. But the cheesecake, uh, very satisfying, very delicious with a chocolate uh, crust covering on it. And of course, almost entirely, the calories were almost all from fat, you know, 10% protein, 10% carb, 80% fat, something like that. So yes, you can indulge, enjoy, satisfy yourself, never struggle or suffer or feel that uh, intense hunger pains that's going to cause you to spin out of your diet and get in the car and drive down to uh, 7-Eleven and grab a Ben and & Jerry's. And if you're listening internationally and you don't know what 7-Eleven is, it's a crappy convenience store filled with processed foods, uh, ubiquitous to American culture, especially the Slurpee, the frozen drink machine that they have at the back where you serve yourself uh, different disgusting colors of an icy mixture filled with sugar. Um, sorry, this podcast is not sponsored by 7-Eleven, nor is it sponsored by Ben & Jerry's, the wonderful ice cream manufacturer that has gone uh, mainstream and sold out to whatever giant food conglomerate uh, years and decades ago. So they're everywhere, all over the grocery stores, these two silly fun guys from Vermont that are pumping sugar into the bodies of uh, Americans and citizens of modern society everywhere, uh, not contributing one iota to health, except for maybe uh, the walnuts and the things buried in some of those mixtures. And heck yeah, those are uh, a, a good a good product. Some of them are delicious. The Stephen Colbert flavor was my favorite, but I made myself habituate away from these high sugar treats. And I broke the association of enjoyment, pleasure, and relaxation from sitting back and enjoying this food. Uh, I would still argue that if a spoonful were stuck into my mouth, that I would say that it tastes good. But as you habituate further and further away from high sugar treats, you find that your enjoyment is minimized. I've talked about this on the podcast before, where uh, I used to be uh, a big fan of Cheesecake Factory and trying their super rich, decadent uh, desserts. My son didn't help matters because all he wanted for Christmas a few years in a row was Cheesecake Factory gift certificates because he bought his own clothes exactly as he wanted on the internet so no one could help him there. So he'd get pounded with gift certificates from all members of the family, and he'd drive down there and he'd bring uh, cheesecakes back into the house, sticking it in my face. Now, um, I, I can say that I enjoyed those uh, probably, you know, three, four, five, six, seven times per year over a period of several years. And then what happened in the latter years, as I started to get more and more fat adapted as well, but generally just living that primal aligned diet... Uh, each time, I noticed they were a little sweet for my liking, that I didn't require an entire slice to be satisfied, and then I kind of weaned off of these because the last few experiences were simply not pleasurable. It was too sweet, and it kind of left me feeling uh, full and uncomfortable after with those notorious side effects from carbohydrate binges like gas bloating, uh, you know, f racing fluttery heartbeat. Uh, the more and more sensitive I got and the more and more aware of my body and how uh, carbohydrates affected me, I started to notice that the overall experience was not that rewarding and that I could easily, easily replace 
the sensations of pleasure, uh, comfort, satisfaction, and indulgence with a different food, namely dark chocolate. So I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate. You can listen to an entire show that I did with uh, chocolate expert Torreo Rodriguez, and I'm all into the, uh, the dark chocolate scene. We did a nice post on Mark's Daily Apple with a lot of help and research um, about the definitive guide to dark chocolate. So a uh, wonderful treat that's high in antioxidants, high in polyphenols, so it's a healthy food, has one of the highest ORAC scores, that's oxygen radical absorbance capacity, O-R-A-C, has one of the highest scores of any food uh, in terms of, you'd call it its antioxidant benefit, antioxidant content. So it's right up there uh, above the magical berries like the acai and the pomegranate and the blueberry. Um, so dark chocolate, definitely a good addition to the diet. Uh, learn about the uh, manufacturing process and choose the highest quality uh, products that you can. The bean to bar is the distinction that we're looking for, just to give you a sneak preview about the show. Uh, But anyway, that's my indulgent treat now. Instead of high sugar treats that I uh, grew up on, just like everybody else in America and was a huge fan of, and boy, I'll tell you, when I was a triathlete, I could pound the calories like nobody. I was, you know, the frozen yogurt poster boy. I'd go out there every night and get a massive pile and pile it up with all the different toppings. In fact, when we were in high school, uh, thanks to Stevie Deitch, our ringleader, uh, champion uh, runner that, uh, that set the pace for everybody. He would uh, inspire us to go on a second run in the evening after the afternoon track practice at the high school. And we'd run uh, five or six miles. And the finish line destination was, of course, Johnny's Yogurt Gardens in Encino, California. And we'd go in there and you know get these giant servings, having just burned off a bunch of calories after already burning a ton of calories as teenage runners. So Um, I'm all the way beyond that. And now eating uh, as much of whatever I want, anytime I want for the rest of my life. And it doesn't happen to include a lot of sweets and treats because they just don't make my body feel good. So I'm rambling here and telling you this impassioned story because I believe that we all have this deep inside. We have these, uh, these fixtures in culture and in our behavior patterns and the association with pleasure and indulgence and relaxation with things like the Ben and Jerry pint And these products are designed to uh, give a strong taste sensation when they're going down. But if you back up a bit and do some good work on your diet and habituate away from sweets into uh, the more savory foods uh, and even the delicious uh, plant foods, Uh, the other night I made an absolutely incredible uh, sweet potato uh, fries in the oven, so little disc-shaped slices of sweet potato cooked to perfection, coated in butter and coconut oil. And then, thanks to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in Las Vegas, yes, I poured a little powdered sugar on top. So I got a few grams of carbs working toward my 50 that day or whatever number I was looking for. Uh, But that treat right there, uh, with some melted butter, by the way, kind of hanging around the bottom of the bowl that you put the sweet potatoes in, an absolutely indulgent, decadent dessert. Maybe not the exact choice when you're in a strict pattern of nutritional ketosis, but as you're aspiring to live this low-carb, primal paleo lifestyle, certainly a fantastic replacement for uh, a high-sugar ice cream product or what have you. So once again, as I'm famous for, I'm getting low on the question volume and high on the enthusiastic pouncing on the most important topics to own and internalize about doing keto the right way. So thanks for indulging me. How about if we finish up with a challenge of me to hit some questions in rapid fire manner, if possible, and then uh, we'll have a nice little package for the show, huh? 
So Stephen writes in as a diabetic uh, concerned about his frequent urination when switching to keto, uh, especially at night, but not during the day. And this is out of the league and possibly into the medical realm. Um, One thing that's interesting, though, is that uh, your adrenal glands are next to your kidneys. Uh, Adrenal is Latin for ad renal next to kidneys. You know, the prefix ad, like addendum or addition. So um, when you are uh, stimulating your adrenal glands, uh, sometimes you get the urgency to urinate even though you don't have a full bladder. So there's a couple reasons that you get urgency. One of them is a full bladder, of course, which doesn't happen very often. And the other one is this uh, this stress response when your adrenals are stimulated. So when you uh, are about to go on stage and give a big speech or when you're uh, on the starting line is when you usually have to pee, you know, right at those, those inopportune times when you're filled with nervous energy. So I just thought I would throw that in, that some of our uh, frequency, our urgency experiences are from possible stress response. I was also concerned to hear from Dr. Phil Maffetone that you should not really have to get up in the middle of the night to pee. Humans are really good at holding their bladders throughout the night because they're not walking around and experiencing the urgency like they would during the daytime, just like a dog who's sleeping and can hold their hold their uh, load until they get let out first thing in the morning. So if you are up in the middle of the night uh, urinating, it's a possible indication of a stress imbalance in your hectic daily life where the stress response is being stimulated uh, during the night. So it's actual concern, which I never thought much of it. I thought, hey, I got to pee. It's the middle of the night. But then when you think back to, again, those high stress periods of life where you're, uh, you're consumed by um, anxious thoughts or it's the night before a big event, you get up to pee four or five times in the same night, it's an indication that you're not getting restful sleep and that you uh, possibly could benefit from some stress balancing activities like a foam rolling session uh, before you go to bed, which is believed to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system get some of those relaxing chemicals flowing into your bloodstream before you go to bed. And it's sort of a response to uh, the discomfort caused by rolling out some tight areas that good hurt kind of chills you out and makes you feel uh, mellow when you're done with the rolling session. Uh, I've just been doing this a little bit lately and I will put in a plug for it. It's really nice. So foam rolling, deep breathing, maybe a quiet stroll around the neighborhood rather than just closing the lid of your laptop or flipping your pad closed after a show where you're kind of uh, stimulating cortisol and suppress melatonin due to the impact of the light. And then you go to bed and you toss and turn and you're up urinating frequently. That is not a sign of healthy, restful, uh, stress-balanced state. So transitioning uh, from Stephen's question that I can't answer very effectively, how about that? Donna says, anyone see a video going around about the dangerous side effects of keto diet and that it's bad for women by raising leptin? What do you think? Uh, Leptin is that prominent satiety, fat storage, and reproductive hormone that kind of tells our body what to do uh, with fat, whether to store it or burn it, and also uh, sends signals of satiety. So it's prominent feature, and Dr. Ron Rosedale is great about this. If you search through old podcast archives, um, he'll talk about leptin having this central role in uh, human hormonal function, especially with the uh, most profound uh, genetic drive that we have, which is to uh, uh, strive for reproduction. So we're striving to be fit for reproduction as our number one priority in our genetics. 
uh, interesting concept, right? The, uh, the human evolution and uh, reproduction is our number one goal on the planet. Today, that's not a big deal, and uh, anyone uh, who gets of the adolescent age is fit for reproduction. They give us plenty of food around, and so now we're kind of turning our attention to uh, striving for good health, longevity, peak performance, protection from uh, modern lifestyle and diet-related diseases. Uh, but leptin still plays this crucial role, and what you want is optimal leptin signaling between the brain and the digestive tract. So that's different, and you cannot characterize uh, high leptin and low leptin uh, as you would with uh, something like insulin, where elevated insulin levels are compromising your health and compromising your fat storage uh, and so forth. So what we want with leptin is not to focus on the levels, but rather the effective signaling where leptin is doing a good job signaling the brain to stop eating when you're full and sated and also to uh, optimize uh, fat burning and um, not contribute to uh, lifelong insidious weight gain as what happens with uh, a high insulin producing diet. So I'm going to correct the uh, the way the question is phrased to say that raising leptin is bad. Optimizing leptin is what you want. Um, and <laughs> the, the, the video going around about the dangerous side effects of the keto diet, uh, I'm going to have to say is an irresponsible blanket statements, and we're trafficking in a lot of that these days, especially on the internet where we have free and open communication. We can say whatever we want without filter. We don't have to pitch to the evening news in our town and have scientific legitimacy to what we're saying. So we got to be really careful with... Uh, absorbing uh, blanket comments like that, that uh, the keto diet has the dangerous side effect of raising leptin. But by compromising leptin signaling, that would be a, a sign of an adverse health effect uh, a diet or something. And when you get into uh, the obesity category, uh, generally speaking, those people have compromised leptin signaling to the extent that they truly do experience sensations of hunger, even though they have plenty of fat on their body, uh, their leptin signaling is all thrown off and they're uh, programmed to eat more and more, uh, produce uh, so much insulin in response that they uh, again deplete their bloodstream of energy because insulin's taking everything out of the bloodstream and putting it into storage to the extent that two, three, four hours after their large meal, they're hungry again, and they truly are hungry. Uh, Gary Taubes does a great job talking about this concept uh, in his book, Why We Get Fat. Uh, don't forget the subtitles and what you can do about it. <laughs> but he's talking about um, how when we get into this uh, obesity pattern, this high insulin producing uh, fat storing pattern, uh, his classic quote there is that uh, gluttony and sloth are not the causes of obesity. They are the symptoms of obesity. And this is a real enlightening and eye-opening quote. Uh, hopefully we'll have more... Uh, empathetic feelings toward people who struggle with obesity, because generally speaking, we look at them and uh, make a judgment like, oh, those people are lazy, they should get off their butts and exercise more, and they should freaking eat less, and then everything would be solved. And the problem is, is that when you have this compromised leptin signaling and uh, 
uh, hyperinsulinemia, uh, chronically excessive insulin production, what happens is you're really tired. You're too tired to exercise. You're too tired to get your butt off the couch because you don't have energy in your bloodstream because you're not good at burning fat. And furthermore, you're hungry for another meal, most likely a high carbohydrate meal so you can get some quick energy because you're energy depleted. So you're all messed up hormonally. And rather than a value uh, judgment on your lazy behavior or your undisciplined eating, we have to attack the uh, hormonal causes and try to right those uh, specifically by uh, lowering the amount of insulin produced in the diet so that you can access fat stores and you can uh, recalibrate leptin signaling. So the ketogenic diet, when done properly, I think uh, most medical experts would agree with me, uh, can uh, help uh, rekindle optimal leptin signaling because high insulin production will definitely compromise leptin signaling. Thanks, Donna, for setting me up good. How about Kim? asking about the optimal amount of sodium for the keto diet. So we talked earlier in the show about the importance of uh, increasing sodium intake because you're uh, reducing inflammation and water retention throughout the body when you're going keto. But what's the right amount? Can you overdo it? I'm sure the answer is yes, Kim says. I'm using pink Himalayan salt and Celtic gray salt. I salt my water. I'm salting my food. Whew, that's a good question. I'm going to... Um, say that's a little out of my league, and I'd love to have a, a hydration medical expert on here to answer that, like Dr. Stacy Sims. Uh, for now, we know that the kidneys work hard to optimize the hydration salt balance in the body, so I would just speculate for fun, if you overdo it on the salt, I'm going to guess that you're going to experience sensations of extreme thirst, let's say uh, just taking this uh, argument to the extreme. And then if you uh, overdo it on the water, you're going to feel definitely, we know this about hyponatremia, especially when it gets dangerous, you get extremely bloated and have a difficult time, uh, you know, water sloshing around in your stomach as you're trying to run the marathon. So we know what happens when we get low on salt and experience those cravings for salty foods when we're thrown off. Um, so I think all those mechanisms are going to kick into gear and I'd love to dig up a, a more satisfactory answer for Kim, but thanks for asking. And we will drop it there. We got several more good questions pulled from the wonderful engagement on the Facebook group. Uh, but thank you for listening to this keto show. This is your host, Brad Kearns. Send your questions to info at ketoreset.com or head over to the Facebook and join the group, join the community, see what the people are talking about. Uh, pose your question there. We'll track it, canvas it. We also have great moderators that are answering questions for people and keeping the engagement lively and focused. Over 30,000 members or somewhere close to 30,000. Every time we check, it gets to be a bigger number. Thank you so much for supporting the uh, the Keto Reset movement, and we'll talk to you soon. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health, and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. Sort of, we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the 
the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.